Well, good evening, everybody. Are we ready to praise the Lord tonight? Yes. Come on. Amen. It's been a, kind of a little bit of a long day, but it's been a good day. And I praise God that uh, he gives us opportunities to, to do a lot of things and to, to change our lives. And I just want to praise God tonight that, that we have opportunities to change our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. I think we're very blessed in that. Amen? Amen. Well, let me read a verse, which I like to do. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said... Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. So, let's just remember, brothers, that uh, we just need to worship God. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to ask our brother Otto to come up, and he's going to pray us in, and we'll get in some praise and worship. Amen? Hello, family. Hello, How are you? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you tonight for another week that you have given us. Another day that we come together, Father God, and fellowship, and worship you, Father God, and honor you, and praise you, Father God, your holy name. We lift up the service to you tonight, Father God, that these songs will be a sweet aroma to you, and I'll prepare our hearts for your word. And uh, we pray for those who uh, couldn't make it today. And uh, thank you. We love you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How's everybody doing? All right, let's all stand. You're so good. <laughs> no, no, no. We're going to bring our praises, our prayers, and petitions to the Lord in song tonight. I'm going to start with one. And just There's a verse in uh, John, 1 John, I think it is, where it says, Even if we are faithless, He is faithful, because God cannot deny who He is. That is such a great blessing to us. That's something that we can rest on. Even when we screw up, when we rebel, we can still come back to Him. And He's still loving and compassionate.
believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. Lord, we believe in you. Lord, we thank you that no part of the Godhead was prohibited from the salvation and the sanctification of man. Father, it went all according to your plan. According to your will. Your perfect will. Lord, we may not understand why things happen sometimes. We may not understand completely our own depravities or your tremendous holiness that goes beyond description. And Lord, tonight we declare you good. Even Jesus said, no one is good but God alone. And we meditate on that goodness tonight, Lord, and we sing this back to you.
are perfect in all of your ways. Lord, as we go into this final song, just ask that you would bless this time. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. As we lift up your name, Lord, let us really begin to understand your holiness jealousy for us is undeniable. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. There's nothing worth more that will ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted
time you give us to come together and fellowship with each other, Lord, but with you, Lord God, lift up our praises to you. Heavenly Father, I lift up the, the service tonight and the prayer tonight, Lord God. It will all go according to your will. Again, Heavenly Father, I thank you for everything that you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And you may all be seated. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. While we were praising and worshiping, a couple of verses came to mind. I just want to read them for you guys. Psalms 147, verses 1 and 2 says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and praise is beautiful. Praise Amen. Praise, praise God. Praise God. So, I woke up this morning... And the Lord really impressed on my heart to praise him today. And I felt it all day long. I've been listening to music and I've been uh, praying to him. But I've really, every time I hear, I hear a song today, it's been that song that I've needed. That song that has changed me. And I just praise God for praise and worship. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we're going to continue to praise him with our praise reports and our prayer requests. But before I call up our brother Mark, I have a question for you. What goes trot dash trot dash dash? Horse, Horse code. code. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to follow that up. Palabras para ti. Brothers and sister, sisters, there, there's, I keep forgetting. It's good to be with you. Um, I come to you from Nineveh. I'm, I'm way out in the, the far reaches of the other part of the world. And it's always good to come and come and fellowship with you. I look, it's the highlight of my week. Um, I was going to read out of Hosea. Remember Hosea? He's that prophet who was told to go marry a harlot. And it was a picture. God was showing Israel just how faithful he is and how faithless they were. And at the very end of the book comes something that tells us how to approach God. After having been told you're faithless, you need to... You need to understand that God is going to put an end to this, that he's calling you home, that he loves you, but he wants you to return home. He says this in Hosea chapter 14. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips. Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we go out again and say, Our God, to the work of our hands. For in thee the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. 
and I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like the lily, and he will take root like the cedars of Lebanon. And then at the very end, verse 9, he says, Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know these things. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them. But transgressors will stumble in them. And it's a reminder. It's a reminder to us to come before him. We come before him with singing, with praises. We remind one another that he is here, that his presence is with us, that his Holy Spirit is there to lead us and guide us. And now it's time for us to acknowledge that he has, in fact, worked this week in our praises, in our testimonies, just to remember, like Israel did, all the work that God has done in their lives. And he's at work in our lives every day of every week. And we should, this time of, this time of praise should be filled full of those testimonies of God's work. And then we'll go on to remember the prayers, the petitions. We take our words to, to God and we let him know our heart, knowing that he is there just eagerly awaiting us, eagerly accepting us into his presence. Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the way that you watch over us. We thank you for the blessings of friends and and family. We thank you for jobs and for health. We thank you for the trials that come along and how you work them to show us that you are still with us and that you watch over us and that you give us the strength to endure and overcome. Father, we thank you for the reminders that you have defeated our enemies that, Father, you have overcome death and you've given us life. We raise up our brothers who, have, uh, who are not feeling well. We, we think of hurt backs and upset stomachs and just all the infirmities that come along with living in this world. And we just ask, Father, that you would, that you would be with them. We ask that you would be with our our sons and our daughters. Lord God, we thank you that you are working in their lives and that you have purposed to speak the truth in love to them. We thank you for those who you have put in their path that will speak the truth in love and will be that army that calls them to you, Lord. And Father, we just thank you for in the midst of adversity, in the midst of strife for our children, that, that you have an army of your sons and daughters who are doing kingdom work to bless them, to call them. And we rejoice, Father, that in your time, in your perfect will, they will be in your kingdom as well. Father, we pray that you would guide our steps and that you would work in our brother Seku tonight as he brings the message. And that our hearts would be open to you, Lord God. That our minds would be aware of the 
things that you are speaking to us about. For your word, Father, is for us. And we just thank you that you work through that word. Help us to come to you and to bring our words, to bring our repentance, to bring our praise, to bring our prayers and petitions. For we know that you are a God who is, is a God who blesses and a God who upholds the righteous. Help us to walk in your ways. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Brother Mark. Amen. As we uh, get ready to uh, prepare to hear the message, I've just been reminded all day that uh, the Word of God is so powerful. You know, when I read it and, and reminded of the promises that, that God has made to us in His Word, the thing that always I'm reminded of at that point is those promises are going to come true, period. They're going to, we can have faith in that. We can hold that. Amen? Amen. All right. As we uh, prepare to uh, invite, our brother, invite our brother Sekou to come break the bread of life, I've got one last question. What has six eyes but can't see? Three blind mice. I think we have another prayer request. <laughs> Hopefully you're not getting all these from a book, and if you are, you should get your money back for that book. I'm sitting there and I'm listening to the prayer request and I completely forgot about doing the water. That is hot. Yeah. Turn that down a little bit. It's not like y'all can't hear me anyways. What? <laughs> uh, if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew, the 28th chapter. Today, we're doing a cross between a, a sermon and a church meeting. You guys can hear me over here fine? We can change that also. <laughs> so I'm glad it is, as my pastor used to say, just us chickens, um, so that we can talk about some things. That's a Southern saying. He is from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. <laughs> Some of his ways have rubbed off on me, so I've managed to be on good behavior, but sometimes you might hear me say a saying that makes absolutely no sense unless you were born on the south side of the Mason-Dixon line. <coughs> Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Some of us theologians, I'm not putting myself in the theologian category, but <laughs> some of us would know this, we call it the what? called the Great Commission. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, it even says the Great Commission for those that have the little chapter titles and section titles. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, and then we will get started. If you would all stand in honor of reading God's word. The Bible reads, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, we pray that you instruct us in what you would have for us through your word and through your spirit. Let your spirit not just speak to us, but speak through us. Your testimonies, your uh, history and how you have approached dealing with people all the way up until now, your steadfastness, your loving kindness, all of these things, Father, help us not to ignore them, but to stand on them, be encouraged by them, and move forward in the mission that you have called us to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, Kevin likes titles because it's easier to put on the internet. Not a big title person. But if I were to title this, I would call it The Church and This Church. The Church and This Church. And of late, we have had, um, not to say that we're doing bad, but we're learning as we're growing. And we're encountering a number of challenges as we grow, um, including identity challenges and, and just trying to figure out what we're doing. So today, we're actually going to talk about the church, and we're going to talk about this church, this church. And the reason being is because it's important for all of us, not just Seku, but all of us, to really understand what we're a part of and the gravity of what we're a part of, as well as the privilege of what we're a part of. My father um, once told me in the middle of my stealing car days, he says, uh, whatever it is that you're going to do, be the best that you can at it. I says, well, what if I want to be a drug dealer? He says, be the best drug dealer you can and don't get caught. It's like, that's not what I'm telling you to do, but if that's what you choose to do, then don't do it half-hearted. If you're going to do something, then do it. It may not be the greatest thing in the world to do, but why enter into something if you're only going to play with it? And so later on, um, my pastor in the church that I was ordained in also mirrored the same sentiment. If you're not in something to be 100% at it, then why are you there? What are you there for? Both statements in their own way speak to commitment. Speak to commitment. And so each and every one of us that call ourselves Christian are here because Christ committed himself to his mission. To die on the cross and be resurrected so that each and every one of us not only could experience and be atoned for but also can have the promise of eternal life he committed to that there's a difference between it's a good idea and it's a commitment that it's a comfortable concept or a reliable reality the difference of commitment is this there are two farm animals uh where's also because there anytime i go into this i'm just giving the material so i there's two farm animals and they really want to bless the farmer and it's a pig and a chicken. And the pig and the chicken are entering and it's, how do we really bless the farmer? He's been really good to us. And the chicken says, I got an idea. Let's give him a breakfast of eggs and ham. And the pig goes, wait, wait, wait a minute. And the chicken goes, why? That seems like a good idea. And the pig says, yeah, for you, that's a, that's a gift. For me, that's full commitment. <laughs> and so... We can, 
We can bless God by being a gift to the church, but are we committed to the church? Are we committed to the church? Really, are we committed to Christ? Because the church is the body of Christ, and the head of the church is Christ. So if we are committed to the Christ, then we are committed to the church, which means that we are, as, as uh, Bob said earlier, all in, all in. Um, they used to call me, when I played poker in, in prison, they used to call me Full Tilt Seku. Not because I'd get a bad beat and then I'd all of a sudden just go, ah, you know, that's what full, going on tilt is. You get beat bad and then you just get stupid. You start throwing in all your chips, trying to make it, and it just gets worse and worse and worse till you're kicked off the table because you have no chips. They call me full tilt Seku, half joking, because I, I would seemingly go on tilt, but by the same token, it was still calculated. It was like, all right, if I lose this much, I'm going to lure this one in to lose this much. And they knew that. They picked up on that. If you Look, if you can't spot um, the, the sucker at the table in poker, when you sit down, you're probably the sucker at the table. So all these guys are very cognizant of what I'm doing. So it was like a half joke. And I say that to say that some people can go all in, but it's calculated. It's calculated. Well, I'll go to church. I'll do this, that, and the other. But if I don't see God come through, I'm just going to go find something else that blesses me. And so we're not here to be um, calculatedly committed. We're here to be committed. Whether we understand what we're in or not, when Jesus says, follow me, that was a commitment. Follow me. They left everything to follow him. They tried to pick it back up. It didn't really work. And at the end, Christ basically reminded them, this is not what I have for you to do. They left their nets after the resurrection and never went back to him. They were committed to following a way of life now that they were not born into. They were not really, they were trained for three and a half years, if you want to look at that. But they weren't born into it. This is not something that there was a book written on beforehand in order to do. This was follow me, and they follow Christ for three and a half years, having a physical teacher. After three and a half years, Christ says, no, I want you to follow me. And they left their nets and followed the spirit in which they couldn't see. Christ, when he left, gave, or right before he left, gave them this commission to go forth and make disciples uh, and, and so forth. And that is the basis of the church. Now, there are other things that have happened along the way and things that we will look at, but that is the start of the church. Go ye therefore and make or to uh, train and teach disciples. I was listening to a couple pastors now that I have a little bit of time to do that. And one of them, um, Tony Evans, and I kind of like Tony Evans. I, he has a nice voice. It's just real soothing. I like Tony Evans. <laughs> and one of the things that he said was <laughs> he, he was talking about uh, ambassadors. And ambassadors, when they go to another uh, uh, country and stuff like that, they're dealing in another country with embassies. Can't hear it? She said she can't hear it over here. They have embassies. If you ever been on foreign soil and you go to the U.S. Embassy where all the ambassadors and all the staff 
that represent the United States are there, or if you've ever watched The Bourne Identity, uh, you realize that when you walk into the embassy, the rules of the country no longer apply because that embassy is sovereign soil. They can't just go into the embassy and do whatever they want to. The French police can't go in and say, well, you're in France. Yeah, but this is sovereign territory. This is still the United States, and our rules apply. So when the church meets as ambassadors of the kingdom of God, and we get together, what rules apply here? The world's? The kingdom. Sometimes we're not mindful of that because we bring in enough of the world's material, whether it's how the structure of business or music or whatever the case may be. We bring in their material to do this, but in all actuality, this meeting, this gathering is not based on the world's rules. It's based on kingdom rules. That makes it that much more serious. When you, uh, uh, well, when I was younger, I would see people that, you know, spirituality and church was a Sunday morning thing. It was a Sunday morning thing. So you can go Friday night, Saturday night, you go out clubbing, you come into church, sometimes you come in hungover, but at least you were there because you did your Sunday thing. So for them, they were caught up in the culture of church, but not the commitment of church, and really not the commitment of kingdom. It wasn't, uh, it was a way of life. It wasn't life. Because if this is your life, this is your focus. This is your focus. So, don't think that I'm here to beat people up. It's just to remind things and talk about things. Um, from here on out, for the next 2,000 years from this Great Commission, the church has suffered, uh, has achieved great victory, has suffered, has been diluted, has been infiltrated, has kept the same message, most, mostly, um, but has seen its share of challenges in the last 2,000 years. Multiple splits. Multiple disagreements. And it's funny because, you know, you get the Baptists pointing fingers at the Pentecostals for dancing. You got the Pentecostals pointing fingers at the Baptists for drinking communion wine. Uh, you got both of them pointing fingers at the Presbyterians for being frozen chosen. You got the Catholic Church pointing fingers at the Anglican Church because it's just um, English-sized Catholic Church. And so you have all of these different people arguing with one another because of their differences and not really understanding the thing that unites all of us, and that is Jesus Christ. If we are focused on Christ Jesus, then all the rest of the stuff is just a conversation. So I have often said in the church in Geo that we were a trans-denominational church. In other words, we went above, not we were non-denominational, because that just means we're another group that doesn't want to be associated with other groups. And not that we are Baptist denominational or Mennonite because at that point we're going to do something that's going to irritate one person or another. But if, if we do things according to the leading of the spirit and we push ourselves above denominational separation to say let's focus on Christ Jesus, then again, whether somebody doesn't believe in tongues and somebody does, as long as we follow the Spirit, if that person is speaking in tongues and they're following the Spirit and they're doing it according to structure, so let me put that in there because it shouldn't be all over the place, but that's a later conversation. Uh, we're not going to go to war over it because we recognize what unites us is Christ Jesus. And to a certain extent, the church has battled all of these things 
And as large an entity it is, it still struggles, but it still proclaims the name of Christ Jesus. We're no different. The church of, of TTLT has gotten to a point, or to the least of these, has gotten to a point where we're also uh, experiencing the growing pains, not unlike what they experience in the book of Acts. We have differing cultures. We've started getting to the point now where we have people that, don't, uh, that are not part of the Eagle's Nest houses or haven't been that are coming to the church. We got people who are not even registered citizens but are related to them or understand them that are looking at what is going on here. Not because we're a great group of guys because they haven't met Art if they have, but... Wow. <laughs> no, Art's a good guy. It's just a little rough around the edges. All the edges. <laughs> But our exposure is starting to get out there more so that probation is telling people about this church, that groups are telling people about this church, that people who have seen their lives change uh, in their family members are wanting to come to this church. And so that brings a number of challenges with it. Challenges that when we sat in the living room back almost 10 years ago, we didn't even think of. And for those of y'all that don't know, this church started... 2015, I believe, in a house in Willetta, in a living room, while we were doing a Bible study, while our neighbors are picketing and the news is outside and all of these different things are going on, and we were going to a church, I won't say the name of the church because we're recording and you never know who hears these things, so I got to ex exercise a little bit more discipline, we were going to a church, we were welcomed by a good number of people in the church. But as you guys know, when you walk into a church, there's a lot of things now with the, uh, the, the probation tail that we have on us that we now have to be concerned of. And so anytime certain things will happen, you worship with one eye and, and partial focus, and then you're watching the situation around you just to make sure that you're safe, just to make sure that you don't have to make an awkward phone call because some rambunctious kid just decided to climb over three different uh, pew benches in order to give you a handout. And believe me, that has happened. I mean, this kid was determined to do so. And that's in his right. He, he doesn't know any different. But the thing is, is that we looked at it and said, you know, we need a safe place to worship. A safe place to come together without having to worry about looking over and making sure that this is in compliance or this isn't going to get me or something is going to come from the background. And it's ironic because we're not necessarily in a safe neighborhood, but when we come in here, we don't even worry about what goes on in the neighborhood. We can come in here and worship freely. And that has been, the, that was the reason why that has continued to be the goal in doing some of the things that we're doing. And here we are after 2015, after Walletta and all of that, and then we end up um, sort of kind of going in different directions for a little bit. And then we end up reuniting on this side of town. We're in a living room, uh, Fillmore. Obviously, all these people couldn't fit in Fillmore. We go from Fillmore to Hadley. A lot more people could fit in Hadley, but we're still in a house. And then we end up moving into this building that has been retrofitted by several people. A lot of blood, sweat, tears, and finance has gone in to getting this building to where it is. And when I mean blood, I'm quite literal about that. And sweat, quite literal about that. Tears, usually after arguments, 
All of that went into getting this to where it's at so that we can have a safe place to worship. And all of those decisions were based in one way or another on the overreaching mission that God gave the church and the underlying objective that we have as a church in providing a safe place to worship. Now, we have vacillated back and forth about being a church or being a Bible study. We could be a Bible study. Yeah, that's great. That's not what God called. I've even argued that uh, quite publicly to some people, that maybe we should be a men's only fellowship or maybe we should just be a Bible study. I've argued that point. And I've gotten shut down. I've gotten argued with by people, yes. Matter of fact, pretty heated argument. But I've been shut down by the Holy Spirit. This isn't a Bible study. This isn't a men's only fellowship. This is a church. Obviously, there are some challenges in what we do and some things that we can't do, but we are a church. And the reason being, and the reasons that we're going to look at a little bit in here, is that this is a reflection of what the kingdom of God is pouring out in the men and women that are a part of this part of the body. And to call it anything less would be to take away from the seriousness of it. And for those of y'all that don't know my background, I was ordained in a Pentecostal church before prison. I was taught to take church very seriously. Why? If you go babysit somebody's kids, they're not your kids, but you're placed in charge of those kids, guess what? You take that seriously. Because it's not just your responsibility isn't what you can cover. Now your responsibility is covering something that you are stewarding over. I was taught that from an early age, when it, early age as far as preaching. When it comes to people's lives, and yes, lives. When you guys come into this building, I don't look at it as, oh, okay, I get to see you guys for a few minutes and go. There are, there are lives involved in what we do. And that's very serious to God. And he's not going to have under shepherds that don't know or don't take that seriously. Now, that does not mean that we don't make mistakes. Uh, in 30 years, whether it's been uh, Everlasting Covenant or the church in, behind the walls or whatever it was we called it, whether it's been this church or whatever the case may be, does not mean that I have not made mistakes because we are people. And I have heard this argument before. Well, the church has hurt me. Well, welcome to the club. But it wasn't the church that hurt you. It's people in the church that have hurt you. There's a lot of people who are upset with the Catholic church because of the priests. They discount the whole entire thing because of what has happened or the bad actions of some priests. Those are the actions of the priests. That is not the actions of the Holy Spirit directing people in the church. It was a decision that people in the church made to do something outside of the will of God. So we have to be real careful when the adversary says, well, you know, let's, let's give you a reason not to go to church. It's because the people there are just wrong. Well, you know what? When I checked and you read the book of Acts, there's a lot of imperfect people that were <laughs> in charge of making a church. As a matter of fact, Acts, the first chapter, shows that they were trying to go based on education and physical theory and how to replace Judas, and the Holy Spirit had to come along and not only set them in the right direction, but give them the person he already called to replace Judas. 
So it doesn't mean that we make all the best decisions, especially if we're not following the Holy Spirit. And last time I checked, there's only one that has followed the Holy Spirit 100%, 24-7, and that was Jesus Christ. There's a lot of us that have our fleshly moments. But that doesn't discount the work that God is doing. So why is that serious? Because uh, I recognize this as a church. I recognize the seriousness of it. Does not mean that this has always been my full commitment. And I'm saying this because um, it's just us chickens and we just talking. For seven years, I have let a job become my primary focus. And so part of my attention is focused on the growing church. But I started working in a job before we even really started. We started in Fillmore. I was working on a job. Hadley, I was working on a job. Here, I was working on a job. The job took so much of my focus that a lot of things here were being neglected. Now, I'm not saying that to, act, you know, to put myself out there for an apology or whatever else. I'm saying that to mean that whenever we don't take what God has given us with our primary focus, then we're always going to end up playing catch-up. We're always going to end up playing catch-up. So lo and behold, you know, my plan, well, I need to get out of this job sooner or later. We need to figure out something. God's plan, you're done. <laughs> you're done. Start focusing. Yes, Lord. Why? Because we are growing. We are growing. And it's not one person that's a part of it. It's all of us that are a part of it. All of us. It's not on Sekou's shoulders or Deb's shoulders or Kevin's shoulders or whoever else. It is on all of us. Just like your body, every single part of your body, whether you acknowledge it, like you show off your hands, because, you know, my hands is my best attribute, or my ears, you know, or, you know, you got to see my nose. It's just perfectly proportioned. Nobody talks about that little space behind their knees armpits you don't talk about those and then there's other body parts i'm not even allowed to mention in church guess what every one of them are important every single one of them are important for me to function and do whatever it is that i am called to do if i'm missing a leg that's a problem if i'm missing an ear that's a problem if i'm missing an eye that's a problem so everything that is a part of the body is important to it being functioned now, I know some of you guys are smart, and you go, well, what about the appendix? I'm not a doctor, so let's not go there. But obviously, when your appendix has a problem, it causes the rest of the body to suffer. So evidently, it has a function. We just ain't smart enough to figure out what it is yet. Every person in here is vital. So if you think that, well, I'm coming to church, and I'm just going to do whatever, no, as much responsibility as I have, you have, in one form, fashion, or another. Let's look at Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 2. Before I get to rambling, we'd be here forever. There is a handout as you're turning to the book of Acts. Uh, it's not a handout. It is a, a pamphlet for the church so that when people come to this church, they can understand who we are and what we're about. Um, which, like I said, this is a church, but it's a unique church. It's got some unique challenges. So we would like to hand this out to people before they attend the church. If you want to read it, I'm pretty sure we have a few that are available to read. Um, but it describes what we believe. It describes why we do what we do. In other words, how we get started. 
It describes what we do or what we're aiming to do. For instance, the mission statement is right here on the back page, to steward a safe space where registered people can worship and be edified freely without fear. Without fear. And we talk on Thursday about missions. That mission is what we make our decisions by. It goes on into what we attempt to offer through the Holy Spirit. Provide a safe environment for registered men in transition from prison to society. Provide, and I'm summarizing, summar, paraphrasing. Provide an environment for learning and growing in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and others who profess to know him. Offer a Christian environment that will promote growth in the Christian walk of every man. Provide a place where mentoring from prison will continue so that the plans that are made in prison will be implemented on the streets, which we're working on. Provide a place where community will develop among the men. Hmm, we'll cover that. Provide a place that will help with church involvement, character development, and learning how to walk as a Christian in the world, real world. If Christ's commitment to us was not just a let me show up and let me dip out and you guys go on with your life, we are no greater than the master, which means that our commitment to the body of Christ mirrors Christ's commitment to us in that we don't just show up, you know, here's a sandwich, be warmed and filled and take off. This is our life. In other words, you all are a part of my life. You all, I'm a part of your life. And Sekou is not perfect to where I don't need anybody else. As a matter of fact, it doesn't even work that way. You'd be surprised, and I don't mean this to scare you, but you'd be surprised at how many times I could sit and talk with people or I, I have a conversation. Somebody a couple weeks ago told me, how do you always know what to say? I am shown certain things about people. Sometimes I don't say everything I'm shown because it might scare you. But I am shown certain things about people and how to engage and do whatever and help out people. And then I turn around and look at my own life, and I can't use that statement because it's not good. So let's just say I can't pour something out of a boot. Like, I don't have it together. You know why? Because now Brother Reed steps in and says, Seiko, I'm seeing this, that, and the other. Deb says, hey, you know what, Seiko, we need to have a conversation. Nobody in here is the one all to be all. If we had all the answers for ourselves, then we would just be, I'm going to fix y'all and leave me alone. That is not the way that this works. All of us have a part to play in the growth and development of each and every one of us. Acts, the second chapter, verse 42 through 47. I'm going to try to read it off this board because putting these things on is annoying. And they continued, this is after Peter's uh, first sermon. And the church grew. And it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. The fear, then fear, came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believe were together. Mm. All who believe were and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord God added to the church daily those who were being saved. That is the early operation of the church. It wasn't political. It wasn't board meetings. 
it wasn't let's go out and get a housing budget or this, that, and the other or so many things. It wasn't seven ways to grow a church. They were following the Spirit step by step, and all these things were growing. Now, did they have all the answers in this moment? No, because four was that four chapters later, you see them get into a big disagreement between the Hellenists and the Jews. Those are growing pains. Different cultures coming together. And that's going to happen. But when they first started, they focused back on 42 on four things. I don't, let's see if Eric can go back to verse 42. <laughs> and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and prayers. And I want to break this down for a little bit in the time that we have left. Uh, number one, they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly. They didn't just start, stop, start, stop, start, stop, like some of our cars do. They continued. They started the journey. They said, yes, I believe in Christ Jesus. Yes, I'm a part of the body of Christ. And they continued steadfastly. In other words, it wasn't easy to go on day after day. There's challenges, there's things involved. So if you're going to continue steadfastly, it means that what you're continuing in is your primary focus. And everything else is just, you're passing through. And you see this in their activities. They had all things common and they sold whatever to give to people who had needs. Now, I'm not saying that we have to go in here and sell everything right now because some of y'all ain't even ready for that. But the thing about it is they didn't look at their possessions as their focus. They didn't look at what they had going on outside of this as what they needed to be committed to. They made a commitment to the body of Christ and everything that was a part of what they had was part of that commitment. Are we a little too serious right now? I get, also, we might need a joke. Uh, <laughs> so we'd rather have the serious preaching than a joke. That's a <laughs> Everything that was a part of who they were was part of what they were committed to. I won't ask the rhetorical question is that our lives. I won't do that because I don't want people to go, no. Because I would have to ask myself the same question. So I won't put that out there, but that is something to put on your mind. Are we comfortable with coming to church and being a part of the body of Christ, or is this a commitment? And I'm not just saying this church, I'm saying the body of Christ. Believers who are professing true believers, no matter if they're in Spain, if they're in Canada, well, Canada's kind of an argument, but if they're in Spain, if they're in wherever they're at, <laughs> are we committed to the body of Christ? That's a mature question. That's not something that you answer in 15 minutes, but it's a mature question. Because in order for us to be committed to it means that we see how important it is. Just like in order for us to be committed to our spouse, it's because we understand how important they are. And we even say those vows. Some of us say those vows. Some of us try to, you know, so that we, but for better, for worse, sickness and health and all these other things till death do us part. You're making that statement of commitment. 
Not, well, you look great today. So you know what? We're all in. Let's go to the mall. Let's go shopping. Let's go show you off. And then all of a sudden, sickness comes along and debt comes along and problems come along. And then you're like, I didn't sign up for this. Yes, you did. Because commitment is commitment. Not based on circumstance. It's based on commitment. The same thing with Christ. I'm pretty sure that any one of us, including the guy that came up here and spoke earlier, could list off a number of things that would give Christ cause to say, I'm no longer committed to this individual. And yet, he is. In the Great Commission, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Peter had problems. Paul had problems. Barnabas had problems. John had problems. And yet, did Christ ever forsake them? So in sickness and in health, in poverty and in wealth, in acting a royal fool or trying to get your life together, Christ is still committed to us. And then he expects us to show that same nature towards the rest of his body, which means that I may not be happy with what you do, but I'm committed to you. You may not be happy with what I do, but you're committed to me. Mike's giving me this look. <laughs> they continued steadfastly in, the, in four things. Number one, in the apostles' doctrine. They continued steadfastly in strong teaching. Because without a vision, what happens? People perish. Now, they didn't have umpteen Bibles in their houses to do whatever else. They had to go based on the education and the spirit leading of the apostles and those that they had taught in that time to show them the way of God. They couldn't just pick up a Bible because it was a scroll at that point. So they couldn't just pick it up and say, I got all 66 books. They didn't even have 66 books at that point. They had to rely on strong teaching from the apostles. As a matter of fact, you think you can read and gain, but the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it's something about actually hearing this word, not just reading this word, not just putting your eyeballs on it and going from one side of the page to the next. It's something about hearing the word of God. As a matter of fact, there is a word called Haggah in Hebrew, which means to mumble. Really, it means to meditate. Actually, it comes from the word to ruminate or to chew. And they use it for meditate, and you can also use it for uh, mumbling. And the reason being is because David and others who would meditate in the word didn't mean they just read it. They would read it and recite it to themselves over and over and over. They would speak what they're reading to themselves. They didn't just read it. They spoke it out. If you don't think speaking is important and what you say is important, I encourage you to go to Genesis, not three, but one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth without form and void and darkness covered the face of the deep and the spirit of God hovered above the face of the waters. And God said the first act of creation was speaking 
that set things into motion. If you are created in God's image, then your words have incredible importance in what you say and how you say it and what spirit you're speaking it from. If you're created in God's image, what you say is important. That's why the Bible says every idol, stay away from idol talk, vain babblers, all these other different things. Is what coming out of your mouth edifying or destroying? Is what coming out of your mouth godly or fleshly? These are things that the world teaches us not to look so highly upon. We got talking heads and people that love to hear themselves speak. I like people from Oklahoma. They don't, the country folk, because they don't say a whole lot. And what they say is important, so it's like, if I got to open up my mouth, it better matter. Other than that, you're going to get, yep, nope, and that's about it. Most people aren't going to, those kind of people aren't going to say something unless it matters, unless it makes a difference. And they're definitely not taught to blow smoke and just say anything and have just idle chatter. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have conversations. But when your words start to go into destroying somebody instead of edifying somebody, when your words start to go into speaking nonsense instead of speaking truth, then we have to pay attention to what is coming out of our mouths. The apostles preached and taught the word of God in the spirit and power of God. And the church grew because of it. Their commitment to doing that in four chapters later, when you have the argument between the Hellenists and the Jews and, and how they were not being served, their response to it showed the importance that they took about what they were speaking. They said, you set seven people to attend to this matter. We will go back to ministering to the word of God and prayer. One of the things I look for in churches is does the pastor or preacher or whoever strive to stay in the spirit and preach the validity and truth of the word of God? Or does the pastor like telling stories and antidotes and giving you basically what summarizes into a self-help book? They continued in the apostles' doctrine. It's funny because if I ever get cattywampus with the word, some of you guys will come and tell me. <laughs> Such is a lot of a preacher. And this ain't the only church that's done it. You know, um, Pastor, what you just said there doesn't, you know, it doesn't line up. If we have that kind of gusto to go after the preacher that we're comfortable with for saying something that we don't think is right, why don't we do that to the television man when we let it play in the background? Or the radio man that, or woman who's in our ear as we're just driving around. Because they have a name, because they have a, a large ministry that gives them validity. Big just means you're big. It doesn't mean you're right. What are we listening to as far as teaching? Are we listening to the apostles' doctrine? Or are we listening to modern ideas and theories of church growth and all these other different things that doesn't have the spirit it just has great sounding words when i say that i take this seriously most of y'all know my routine there are days when sometimes i'm i'm 
distracted or whatever the case may be, but the majority of the time when I have to preach, whether it's in this setting or in others, it is, Lord, these are your people. What is it you want them to hear? Because I could say I can preach things that are great sounding but are not edifying. They're not what you need in this moment. They're not what this church needs in this moment. Sometimes what you need is quite boring and what you want is very exciting. We want to hear about, woo, God's going to put a chicken in every pot and a car in every driveway. And right now, God is saying, you're a church. Start thinking about the responsibility that you have. Oh, well, that's not exciting. It will be when you see what God wants to do when he has his people in the place where he needs them to be. And I've told y'all for several times, and I don't usually use that prophesying word, but I've said over and over again, when God has his people in place, you'd be surprised at what he starts doing. That can be intimidating to some. That can be, and some people, it isn't intimidating as much as they don't have this lined up. And so they start stepping back because they don't feel like they're ready for that. Can I tell you something about the way the kingdom of God works? If I say I'm ready, I'm not ready. If I don't say I'm ready, I might be ready. But if God says I'm ready, I'm ready, irregardless of what I think I have going on. <laughs> Y'all been telling me that all week. And so you know what? Every day I'm trying to figure out a way to put irregardless in the conversation. <laughs> the apostles' doctrine is about ministry without and within. We won't go there for the sake of time, but in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, I urge you to read this. And I mean read this. For he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That does not mean that the preacher is the one who does all of the ministering. When we come in here, there are people that are given as gifts to the church. So that everybody is equipped that they have the furnishing that they have to go out and do the work of the ministry. And that doesn't mean that you have, that doesn't just mean that you have the Romans road memorized, which is in the pamphlet, and all these other things. It also means that the things which you are lacking or the things which you are conflicting with are resolved before you go out into the battlefield. You may ask the question, why did we bring Skip here earlier today in order to go through this? Because some of the things that cause strong dents in the confidence of the Christians in this congregation is resolving or dealing with their past issues from sexual brokenness. And so because of that, that's an inroad where the adversary can come in and try to get you to backtrack instead of standing in confidence and faith. You want to go out and you want to preach the word because God says, go to this church, say this. And then you stand up and you go and then that adversary gets on your shoulder and says, you know, these people have their lives together. They're not that you're the one that needs to hear the word. They're not sex offenders. You are. These people have everything right. You're the one that went to jail. These people, why are you even here? And so instead of coming out and preaching the word of God with boldness, you come out and you, well, um, I don't want to offend 
anybody. I don't want to, um, uh, uh. No. Do you realize whenever the Spirit moved on people, not just the preachers, it said they spoke the Word of God boldly. They spoke boldly. Did they have sin in their life? Probably. Did they have issues? More than likely. Did they have bad past? I guarantee it. Just ask Paul. But yet he still preached boldly because it had nothing to do with his ability and everything to do with the Holy Spirit. I don't think anybody that we have in this church currently has been educated to do the things that we're doing, no matter how many years in ministry they have had. You bring in a preacher into this setting, somebody who's been in the church for a while, and they will tell you, I don't know how you guys are doing it. I know how we're doing it. Every now and again, when we get our act together, we go listen to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and then sometimes we get a little out of pocket, and we go, oh, Lord, I need to get back with you again until we end up staying more over here to address the issue instead of coming over here, dealing with the issue and then trying to run back over here and run back. We're not the only ones learning that. But yet God still raised up in this unique environment, people from within this environment in order to lead this mission forward according to his will and according to the power of his spirit. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Secondly, they continued in fellowship. Fellowship. The word for fellowship, uh, where's my Greek people at? I know what the word is, but I want to ask the Greek people what the word for fellowship is. Koinonia. Koinonia. Fellows in the ship. Whether it's being tossed around or whatever the case may be, they're all in the same boat. They all share the same things going on. They can all relate to one another. Fellowship is extremely important in the church there are no lone wolves there are no lone wolves each and every one of us is tied into one another and fellowship doesn't just mean I'm going to have a great conversation with Carlos fellowship is I need to know who Carlos is and he needs to know who I am warts and all but that pattern of fellowship wasn't and isn't just relegated to people. First John, two verses. First John chapter one, verses five through seven. This is a message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship, who? With, with who? With him. I, I bring that up to say that fellowship starts with the Holy Spirit. Fellowship starts with Jesus Christ. Fellowship starts with the Father. If we're not fellowshipping with God, we really have no fellowship with one another. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. First, it talks about our vertical relationship. Now it talks about our horizontal relationship. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We fellowship with God and out of that fellowship, we fellowship with one another. We don't fellowship our flesh. We don't fellowship our past. Our past should be relegated to our testimony, which still shows that we're fellowshipping what we have gained through Christ with one another. Because the flesh is not going to edify one another, but it's our spirit, our testimony from the spirit of God moving on the inside of us that is going to edify one another. Fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus 
his son cleanses us from all sin. Now, don't, that does not mean that we can't fellowship and have lighthearted matters. I got a person in this church that is trying to get me a setup for my car so that we can race. Video game, not my Honda. Video game. Well, it's not my Honda, it's the bank's Honda, but not, not the car. We're talking about a video game. And you know what? We have fun in doing that. Good, clean, redeemed individuals finding joy in the world, in the earth, and having a blessing God time doing it instead of yelling and arguing and cursing and all that stuff. I got people that want to play football. Well, they want to try and play football. But I got people that want to play football, and so we go over and have a good, clean not quite as frustrating time of playing football and, you know, eating pizza and just enjoying lives as Christians and sharing an activity. So fellowship doesn't always mean, well, what's your scripture now? Okay, let me now let me bring this scripture. And we just start chopping up scripture, this, that, and the other. It is sharing who you are as a born-again believer in Christ and having received from someone else who is a born-again believer in Christ and sharing that life. Do you know where that starts? We have something we do on the first Saturday of the month. It's called what? You know what that word is in Greek? It's a very long Greek word. It's called um, koinonia. Sound familiar? So the communion that we take of the body and blood of the Lord is the same principle that we fellowship with one another. So we are sharing not only in Christ's death, but also in his resurrection. We're sharing not only what Christ has done, but also the very nature of who Christ is. And the, the, the importance of this sharing is this. As I come to Christ, today you're Jesus. Good job, Blake, you've made it. So <laughs> as I come to Jesus and I say, Lord, here I am. And he says, I will fellowship with you. And I will take who you are, sin, because I've already fellowshiped with that and put it on the cross. Now let me share who I am, righteousness, and give it to you. And now we're starting to get the same nature. You're starting to look more like me. You say, well, I'm a mess on the inside. Let me work on that. Because on the inside, if you commit to me, you will find that I start taking a little bit of chunks Saying, nope, 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 I already died for that. Here, let me give you the life that you're supposed to have in me. Oh, wait, no, no, don't worry about this. Just, just slow down. Slow down. You don't just go dig a great big hole. Let's, let's work on this first. Let's get you understanding what this life means. Let's get you understanding what wholeness means. All right, now let's take another step. We want instantaneous fixing. God says, give me about as much time to get you out of the mess and train you right as you took to get yourself into it. Not always, but sometimes. Because when things grow, you have to dig up roots and you have to replace things rightly. You have to replace things rightly. So give him time to work on you. Now, the Bible does say uh, that there are certain, you know, it's uh, Ephesians, the fifth chapter. This is off script. Let not these things be named once among you. It doesn't say you don't think about them. It just says don't let them be named among you as you go out and do them. You can sit on the inside and wrestle, Lord, I'm struggling with this. I'm dealing with this. That's all right. Let me show you who I am in reflection of that. And then let's start switching those things out. And do you know how you start seeing a little bit more of that? Because Blake hangs around with Seku and starts seeing, Lord, I see what you've redeemed me from, or I see where you're taking me to go. 
And I look at Blake and go, you know what, God, I see this mighty work that you have done on the inside of Blake. And you know what, Lord, you just it just builds my confidence seeing what you're doing with Blake. And all this comes from fellowshipping and not from the fellowship of just we're going to get together and hang out. But in the name of Jesus, we're sitting down playing a video game or reading the Bible and understanding who one another is. In breaking of bread recognizing and sharing in the needs of others. Number one, when they said they had all things common, uh, the church doesn't run, it'd be nice if it did, but the church runs on several different things. Number one, participation of the people that are involved in it. Number two, financial contributions. Churches don't run for free. Churches also can't run if they don't have staff. They don't have people here. If nobody showed up, there would be no point in the building, but we could still have church with just two people. Because when Jesus says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. Which goes back to that whole embassy thing, because guess what? It's not about the building. It's about where the Christians are. That's a powerful principle that I wish we had time to go into, but we don't. But when it comes into sharing and breaking of bread, do we really see the needs of the people that are around us? You know where we start seeing those needs? Fellowship. We start fellowshipping with people and getting to know one another. And then I start hearing, wait a minute, you really need help with your roof. And I know people who are able to help with the roof. So now it's not just breaking bread. It's breaking possession, breaking knowledge, breaking all these different things so I can help meet a need. So far, the only person I know to work on a roof is me. But still, <laughs> we don't recognize the need without fellowshipping with people first. There are brothers that have been in this church, people that have been in this church that have cried out. Cried out because they have a need that they don't know how to vocalize. And if we were truly fellowshipping, which meant not only are we hearing what they're saying, but we're starting to recognize who they are, we would be able to see the need even though they're not directly speaking of it. How many times have you heard people in this church talk about they feel alone? Just in general conversation. How many times have you heard people in this church talk about their struggling and we just kind of blow past it without realizing how deep that struggle is? Fellowship. It's not just celebrating the successes. It's often also helping in the failures so that they can stand. Fellowship is a lot like a principle in the garden, fellowship and breaking of bread, because it deals with connection and protection. I know we're going long, but this is important. Connection and protection. If I have a relationship with Kevin, not only do I need to work on that connection, I need to protect that connection. From the outside drama, all the other things getting in to try and pit one against another. You know what that sounds like? Dressing and keeping the garden. You tend to the garden and you protect it from the things outside that would try to get into the middle of that garden and say, Yea, hath God said. How does that look like in fellowship? Me and Kevin are hanging out tough and the adversary tries to come in and get one of us. Hasn't God said that you're going to be more of a gifted guitar player than Kevin? It is written, 
Kevin is the worship leader, and my job is to come and show up and do what I'm told to do. <laughs> and, and, and I chuckle, but there is safety in that. Because now I'm protecting the relationship because I understand the authority that God has given him, and I know where I respond in that, and I'm not going to let the adversary get in there to try and muddy up the works. If we did that with our marriages, we would be better off. If we did that with the people closest to us, we would be better off. Instead of listening to the drama from the outside, from our brothers, or, or when we're having a relationship with our brothers, sisters, friends, or whatever, we protect the relationship and keep it focused on God. You so say, why are you so serious about this? Because I want to see us grow. And sometimes that means that we have to protect this fellowship as we're connecting with this fellowship. There is something that in this brochure, is, is, it would seem kind of silly at first glance because I've heard about this. There's a dress code in there. You say, well, why you got to have a dress code in the church? Are we going all apostolic, Pentecostal, holiness movement, long sleeve, white shirts? No, because this isn't a white shirt. If I was going 100% holiness, Pentecostal, this would have to be a white shirt. I know about that. Let's not go there. What I mean by that is that part of protecting the fellowship is not putting a stumbling block before your brother or your sister, which means that if I come up here wearing something that's going to flaunt my guns, Luis is like, not supposed to lie in the pulpit. Uh, <laughs> if I come up here and something flaunting my guns, are you focused on the word of God or are you focused on how my 16-inch pythons are showing you where the disco ball is? <laughs> oh, yeah. Step into a Slim Jim. Oh. That would be more of a distraction. You wouldn't be focused on what I'm saying. You would be like, wow, he is just swollen that shirt. And I'm not. So if you're listening to this going, is this a bodybuilding pastor? No, I'm not. But I bring that up to say this. You may think that the idea of even a dress code is silly, but it's protecting the fellowship. Because I'm not going to flaunt something and have you focus more on me than on God that I'm trying to point you to. And you say, well, that's aimed towards women. No, no, it's not actually. It's aimed towards everybody. Can I get a little real? I know we're, we're real this whole night, but can I get a little real? What kind of church are we in? The church of God. However, we have people that have come out of a land with some serious issues. If we ignore that and then just get up here and say, oh, yeah, you know what? You can see whatever. You can do whatever. Now, while I'm trying to show you God, I am inadvertently trying to tip off your sexual brokenness. And that is a problem. Yes, I'm being serious about that. And it's not just guys and gals. Because I know some of the problems that people in this church have come out of. And so in order to do that, in order to make sure that I am preaching the word of God and being respectful in the communion and protecting it from anything that would come outside, I make sure that the way that I dress is appropriate for what I'm doing. So a dress code applies to everybody. And it's not legalism. It is protecting the fellowship. There is a, a, a very bad, <laughs> a very bad cartoon, and the dog was getting back at the owner, 
some of y'all know what it is. And so the dog got tired of the owner doing something and decided to shave off all his fur. He looked crazy. It was a distraction. It was a distraction. And they couldn't even fix what they were doing because he was so focused on this dog looking not normal. It's a hyperbole. It's silly. But the thing about it is, again, taking the person next to me serious enough that I will not put a stumbling block before them. If they don't eat meat, guess what? I'm not going to eat meat either. I might look funny at the table and kind of unhappy, but I'm not going to offend you. And then you go, wait a minute. No, no. Because your walk is so important. Let me use a real example if I can. There are some people in this church who were able to drink wine. There's nothing wrong with drinking wine. There's something wrong with getting drunk. But what they did in order to protect the fellowship with other people in the house said, we also are not going to drink so we don't put a stumbling block before the other people in the house. That is a much better example than a hairless dog. How committed are we to the body of Christ? How committed are we to Christ? The last thing is in prayers. They continued in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Prayer is probably the most important thing next to hearing the word of God that we can do. Is worship important? You betcha. But prayer, sometimes we don't do enough of it. Yeah, I get a little antsy when I'm sitting over there and I hear us taking a little longer in prayer uh, in order to get through things. But you know what? At the end of the day, our communication with God is important for us to carry out the mission that he has called us to do. And sometimes addressing the problems in the field is what we need to do so that we can be equipped to continue on in the mission that he has called us to do. Prayer is extremely important. And I don't mean just the lighthearted, you know, bless God, and then just go on about your business. Prayer is a two-way communication between the child of the children of the king and their king. When Jesus says, pray in this matter, he says, uh, our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means that he has a church down here of ambassadors in their embassy, listening to the instructions from the kingdom that we are a part of so that we can take the instructions from the kingdom that we are a part of and then go back out into the land that we are in and begin spreading the kingdom. Prayer is extremely important. You say, prayer is boring. Well, the adversary would like you to think that so that you don't pray. But why would he put so much of an attack on prayer if it wasn't that dangerous? You can read all day. People like reading. People like worshiping and singing and getting all rowdy and all this, that, and the other. And you get to prayer and people start going to sleep. But prayer is extremely important because it is our communication with him and his communication with us. And just think, it didn't even say that they continued on in singing songs. It said they continued on in hearing the word of God. They continued on in fellowshipping with one another and the Father. They continued on in breaking prayer, breaking prayer, breaking bread and meeting needs. And they continued on in prayer. Prayer. Extremely important aspects for any church, especially this one. Why do we go through all these? Because 
That's where we need to be. And we have a decision that's in front of us that's, we could say it's an easy decision to make, but it's not always an easy decision to make. Because there's lives on the line. I look at Anthony, and I'm just picking on Anthony because his eyes is getting low. But I look at Anthony, and, and there are some conversations that Anthony and I have had that I'm not going to talk about, but some things that I have seen in, in his growth since he's been out that while he struggles, I'll say struggles, this church and this fellowship is a source of life for him. I recognize that. That means that there's a responsibility to not take this life lightly because his life is on the line. Your life is on the line. My life is on the line. This isn't a comfortable concept. Church is a reliable reality. We are something so strong in the spirit that the adversary would like to get us to focus on the natural, but what we are in the spirit is extremely important. And that is an extension of the kingdom of God and a physical representation of the body of Christ. It doesn't matter what history you've come out of, what color your skin is, what language you speak, or what your criminal background is. What matters is that you are redeemed. What matters is that you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And what matters is that he has called you. And the word for church in Greek is ekklesia, which means the called out ones. Each and every one of us were called out of whatever we were called out of to stand up for the kingdom of God. In closing, and we can go on all day, but no, because this is the, the dull hearing thing. It's late. But we need to do this, and, and I appreciate everybody going through the long day and doing it, because this is a call to how serious this is. And it's not just Anthony, it's not just Kevin. I look at every single life that comes in this building. The decisions that we make that harm people, I don't take that lightly. The decisions that we make that bless people, I praise God for it. The ones that no longer continue with us, I pray for them. The ones that continue with us, I say, Lord, how can I help them get to where they need to go? I know I'm one person, I get that, but we're one body. And if I don't know the answer, somebody next to me knows the answer. And so all of us can help each and every one of us not only get to where we need to be in wholeness, body, soul, and spirit, but also where we need to be as emissaries and ambassadors of the kingdom of God so we can take the most serious message and calling that you could ever attain in life and take it out to wherever it is that he calls us with power, with boldness, and trusting in him. In 1 Peter 2, 5 and 7, 2, 2, 3 verses, really, I had to count. You also as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he who believes in him, on him, will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. When you're building, in the description that he's talking about, you start your masonry project with one stone that sets the tone and tempo for everything else. That is called the cornerstone. 
after the cornerstone you build onto it but it is that anchor that first stone laid on which governs how everything else is laid out in your building project this church and all the churches that have come before us or exist along with us in the last 2,000 years if they stand as a church of the kingdom of God they stand on one cornerstone one foundation and that is Jesus Christ and it doesn't matter if they're Baptist Pentecostal, Bapticostal, Mennonite, Methodist, or whatever the case may be, if they're standing on that foundation, they're all part of the one church, and that includes this one. And he didn't say, I built up Christ as a spiritual house for sacrifices. He built up the body, which means that I'm a stone attached to this stone, which is attached to this stone, which is attached to this stone. This stone's attached to this stone, and this stone's attached to this stone. Which means that me doing my part helps you to do your part. Which helps him to do his part. We're not lone wolves. We're part of one mighty building. And we all, not just Seku, we all have a calling and a commitment to the body of Christ. That if we step into that commitment, full-hearted, full-body, you would see growth not just numbers but i'm talking growth in quality of life and the people that are around you as we start to show more of who christ is and less of what our flesh is as we start taking this seriously i'm not saying that you don't i'm not saying that you do what i am asking you is the same thing that i am asking of myself is our commitment to christ really a commitment not just for my sake, but look at the person on your left and look at the person on your right. Your commitment to the kingdom is not just important for you, it is also important for them because they not only need you, they are relying on you. When we ask about what missions govern our decisions, now we start asking that question. Does my decisions aid my cause in helping Debbie? Does my decisions aid my cause in being there for Chris? Does my decisions aid my cause in standing up for Christ so that I can be here for this church or wherever it is that he calls us? Let's pray. Father, you have put us in the most important creation that you ever could, and that is the church, the extension of the kingdom of God, the body of Christ help us Lord to not only recognize and realize that but to look at what you're doing among us and develop the same mentality that you gave to Adam to not only dress it pour into it support it and to build it through the governing and the power of your spirit but also to protect it from all the things without and all the things within where the adversary would try to get this foundation to crumble and the building around it lord help us to be stewards of what you have called us to do and understand the calling and stand strong in the grace which you have given us in order to do the call that you have given us father we thank you that you have chosen us and we thank you that you have given us the grace to be able to do this. And we thank you that you have covered us when we often didn't operate in your will or in your grace. 
But Lord, as we make a commitment and a decision from this moment on, help us, Father, to realize that you are always with us. You will never leave us or nor forsake us. That Jesus Christ is the name above every name. And you have governed him as our head that we can stand up in the authority that you have given him to carry out the will that you have called us to do. And we pray that we continue steadfastly in this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Would you all stand? Would you all lift your hands for the benediction? Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you and us complete in every good work to do his will, working in you and us what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Let the church say, amen. God bless you and be blessed in Jesus' name.